Previously on Fun Science Fiction. My therapist is like, Bill, our time is up. I said, but I just said good morning. It was just a really really long good morning. (laughs) Hey, this is Will Wheaton, and you are listening to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast that was banned from the bridge by Captain Picard. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt and Those in Orphan's Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt crewman number 84. You'll know that when he puts on the Red Shirt and joins the Axis of Anarchy against the Knights of Good, defending their spot in line at Gamesaw, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphan's Fund has his back and what's left of his guild credits. <laughs> I love it when it actually makes our guests laugh and they're not just looking at us like we've lost our minds. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm re-watching the original Star Trek right now, just like slowly making my way through it just kind of for fun. I watch so much Star Trek for work um, and I love it. I can't believe it. I'm like, oh, work, you know, please don't make me watch Strange New Worlds. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> but I've been re-watching the original Star Trek um, to re-familiarize and reacquaint myself with... Um, what made it special instead of living in the memories I've had of a lifetime of watching it, which is really different from, oh, I literally just watched Charlie X last night. They have a real different relationship to it now than I did yesterday morning before I had watched it again. Right. And in, in the watching of that, every time they're going to beam down someplace, it's just like, I know we have made red shirt jokes forever. And, and, and I know that they exist for an absolute reason. I, there wasn't a single person at Desilu who was like, we seem to be kind of troping this. There's some <laughs> way that we can maybe do this just slightly differently. Like, you know, maybe instead of having like, you know, Ensign 51 die, we could have like somebody gets wounded and then we like kind of let them know, right? Um, uh, and, and it's just like, there's just something incredibly fun and super, super, super satisfying re-watching it now, knowing everything I know. Um, and <laughs> yes, God, it is such a good series. Right. It's just so good. Even when it's not great, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, and I could just go, I could just extemporaneously talk about that for ever i will now be quiet and return the, i'm sorry i've been working on ready room all day i've been like writing scripts for later this week so my brain is like in hosty question mode and i have to switch it into being the guest mode and it's a real jarring adjustment that's okay i think all three of us are over here like yeah go ahead and talk we're listening so. we're, we're still doing the we're talking to will wheaton we're talking to will Wheaton. we're okay exactly we got this so, yeah, guys, if you haven't caught on by now, our guest today is Will Wheaton. We've had this wonderful oh. introduction with Will. And, uh, of course, you know him from Star Trek Next Generation and Big Bang and and all that stuff. Uh, but he's also prolific with his voiceover work, his book narration. He's a, a blogger, a gamer, an author. And he's also recently re-released an annotated version of his book, Just a Geek, entitled Still Just a Geek. And so uh, I'm in the process of reading that. I strongly encourage that you guys go read it as well. It's it's very entertaining and it's also has some really some some really cool thoughts in it that we're going to kind of get to in a little bit here but we are so super happy to welcome you officially to the funny science fiction podcast well thank you for being here 
it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. So before we go on to talk about anything else, let's let's talk about the book, uh, Still Just a Geek, which I've only had for a few days. Like I said, I'm in the process of reading it. Uh, my daughter, uh, who you met a few moments ago, will actually be very proud to hear that I'm actually reading a book instead of just listening to a book, which is a, a big leap for me. Um, but I think one of the things I, I have enjoyed so far most about the, the annotated version of your book is the brutal honesty in, in your notes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, it's refreshing to see somebody willing to call themselves out on their own stuff years later for, you know, with something especially that you wrote nearly 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So as an example of, as, of someone who's learned from their past and trying to be and do better, what advice would you give to those who are confronting their own mistakes with, in word or action? It took me a very long time to find compassion and empathy for the person I was when I was um, just way too willing to just casually accept really cruel, um, uh, lazy jokes um in the service of like trying to be kind of like i guess what we would call an edgelord today um and uh in the like as i witnessed that i just kept thinking like you know i'm a public figure and i work really hard today and spend as much of my energy as i possibly can setting a really good example for people and being the person i need to be i need in the world and when I saw all of that, I was just mortified and, and, and angry and embarrassed. And I was super impatient with that guy. In the process of reflecting on why things that were never okay felt okay to me in the moment, I gave myself permission to accept the person that I was as a person who's a trauma survivor, as a person who was for all of that book, living with undiagnosed depression, anxiety, and mm. PTSD. Um, this was a person, the person I was, I was just trying so hard. I was trying to be relevant as an actor in an industry that wasn't really casting my type. Um, I was trying really hard to just be an actor, which I didn't even want in my life, but I felt like I kind of had no choice. And, uh, and, and, I was, and I, was, I was trying to not feel like a failure. I was trying to be seen by my parents as a person instead of a thing. And um, I, I was hearing my voice for the very first time in my life. And at the beginning of me hearing my voice, it's gross and it's messy and it's uh and it's disjointed and it's confused because it's literally the first time I ever got to use it when I started my blog around 2000. So in the writing of Still Just a Geek and the annotating of it and then also in the writing of all the essays and speeches that make up the second half of the book where I talk about living with mental illness and I talk about being uh, uh, somebody who uh, is a survivor of, of abuse and exploitation. Um, uh, in all of that, I had to find compassion, empathy, and forgiveness for myself. The only way I could do that was to take responsibility for things that I regretted and then make amends in a way that I hoped would be meaningful to the people 
to whom I felt amends were due. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then accept that I've, I've done all of the things I can do to start this process. And the thing to kind of do now is to continue listening. Um, somebody once recently asked me uh, something about uh, what we as like, sorry, I kicked my, my laptop is so old that the battery lasts for, oh, like up to a minute. Uh, <laughs> at some point. Uh, and I just inadvertently kicked the cord out. Uh, uh, a fellow um, cishet white guy asked me what we could do about like, amplifying marginalized voices and being a good ally. And the first thing I thought of was uh, we can shut up and we can amplify voices rather than taking a voice and then just saying it again ourselves, use the platform, use the privilege, use everything that we have as Mm -hmm. the most coddled members of American culture and, and amplify people who have been silenced and pushed down and shut up and listen, and then live the things that we have learned. That's how, that's how we affect change. That is what works for me. Everything works differently for every other person. And honestly, if someone's like at a moment in their life where they're feeling like kind of need to make some changes to things way to go. Like, that's fantastic. That's a great place to be. When you get there, you're gonna be okay. The first time it gets hard, and it's going to get hard and you go through it and you get to the other side, you will get all, you will know that you will get all the way to the end. You don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know how much more difficult every hard part's going to be, but you will get all the way to the end because you have the desire to be better. You have the desire to be a more full person. Um, and, uh, and that is a extraordinarily long answer to your question. I like long answers. We're That's good there. That's a great answer, though. You know, one of one of the things I love not only about your answer, but also the the answers that, and I'll say that you wrote in your book, uh, that really appealed to me uh, because dealing, having to learn to deal with my own past traumas and issues in my own life, um, you know, because this is something I had to address uh, three. I started addressing three years ago, so this is all kind of re- fresh and and recent for me. And I'm a 45 year old man, so yeah. uh, you know. This is something that I only started addressing a couple of years ago and learning to make amends with things in my own life, you know, moving forward. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that looking back on your own things that it would, I think it would have been very easy just to say, well, I was 20 years younger. I was Absolutely. in in my twenties and I, you know, I was this, or I was that, you know, to make excuses and, and to, you know, kind of move around the subject. But I like the fact that you just kind of put your head down and you drove through it. This is what it is. This is what I did. And there wasn't a long drawn out explanation as to what you could have done, but what you should have done. And so for me, uh, I saw a lot of parallels with what I'm trying to do in my own life. And so it's both, uh, there's not a question here. This is just me just making a statement. I just, I just really appreciated that about the book. I can relate to the place where you are. Um, I have been there and, uh, and I kind of return there like all of the time. So just like from, somebody who's on the journey, like, I see you, buddy. Like, I know how hard it is. I know how challenging that work is. One of the things we, my wife and I talk about a lot is that it's really easy um, to just justify things. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I live with mental illness and that's just a fact of my life. Doesn't define me, it's just part of me. I could use it as an excuse probably. 
And if I did, that would really undermine and hurt other people who live with mental illnesses because I'm responsible for the choices that I make no matter what. There are mitigating circumstances and contributing factors that can help me understand and find compassion, but I am ultimately still responsible for right. what I do. Um, and uh, a big thing about, I think, about forgiveness is if we are looking, and for me, finding the ability to forgive myself is more meaningful and longer lasting than hoping for and looking for forgiveness from another person. Um, uh, except in sort of like direct cases when, like with my younger sister, there was a moment where uh, uh, like 15, 15 years ago, where I was like having this realization that I wasn't always the big brother that I wanted to be. And I didn't know why. I mean, I didn't understand when I had this conversation with my sister that I wasn't that big brother because my parents had set it up so that I wasn't allowed to be. Like I was their scapegoat. I There was no way I was gonna get the big brother cape. Um, and uh, I, I talked with her about how I felt so sad and regretful that I wasn't there for her more. And she was like, you don't need my forgiveness, but I totally forgive you like that. I know what you were going through and I was younger than you. And like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. That's a moment where I feel like forgiveness from another person is wonderful, but it wasn't something that I went looking for. Right. There's a, I think mm -hmm. there's a difference between I'm looking for a thing and I'm hoping to get a thing. And I just want to share this thing. And then you do whatever you want with it. I think there are, those are two hugely different things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not necessarily that you have to do anything with it, but this is a thing I need off of my chest. It just needs to go over there. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. I get that. I totally get that. So you have already been open about being a survivor of abuse, which is a hard, hard topic for people to talk about. Yeah. But kudos to you. I mean, it's amazing that you've been as open as you have been for yeah. other abuse survivors. It's huge for us. Um, but how do you hope that your book is going to help others know that this path is possible? Taken as a whole, right? It's it, it. There's not one chapter of this book or one part of this book that's like there's nothing tricky about it. It's just a little trick. Like taken as a whole, what I hope it says is you are absolutely worth doing the work to live your best life. You deserve the opportunity to identify what your dream is and then pursue that dream. And it sucks that if you are like me, you were not and maybe are not supported in that by the people who are your parents. And that is awful. And it hurts, like, it hurts so much. And um, we, we cannot allow our potential in our lives to be limited by people who don't see us. Right. And, and it's super, super, super hard when we feel unsupported. I know that I speak from a position of incredible privilege. I don't have to worry about making my bills now. I don't have to worry about losing my health insurance. I don't have to worry about all the things that so many people have to worry about now, um, uh, which I think is 
uh, uh, indefensible. Like we have failed as a nation that people worry about these things. We have failed as a nation that that two generations now cannot afford to buy a home. It's terrible. I know that I speak from a place of extraordinary privilege that has allowed me the time and the space to process this um, at my own speed um, mm-hmm. and, and to really just focus in, in, intensely on healing without having to worry about other things all the time. I don't know what it's like for a person who's trying to juggle all of these things. What I do know is you are absolutely worth it. You absolutely deserve it. And that voice in your head that says, I just, it's just not worth it. None of this is ever going to matter. That voice is lying to you. Um, there's lots of psychological reasons for it that kind of come down to the fight or flight response trying to ter- protect you. Um, but I, 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 I struggle to like stay away from, hey man, you just have to do this because I know how hard it is just to exist right now. But the one thing that everybody can do no matter what is... Um, Think of that person in the world who you love so much that you would do absolutely anything. There's a person in the world, there are people in the world who you would jump in front of a bullet for. You would never speak about them in an unkind manner. Why do you choose to not speak to yourself the way you speak to them? Why do you choose to use a voice in your own head in relation to your existence that you would never dream of using with a person you love? That's a real good place to start and see where that takes you. And where those questions lead, and uh, and and what it inspires you to do. I feel like I'm going to take the soundbite of the "You are worth it" and just like play that on repeat for the rest of my life. Nope. <laughs> I just just the, the little clip of Will Wheaton. You're worth it. There's a thing that I really struggle with. I still struggle with, and I struggled with it forever. I struggle with it less now, but it's still there to some extent. Um, I was just made to feel like I wasn't enough. Every child, every human being should just be enough by existing. Like there shouldn't, you should not need to achieve a certain rank uh, or a certain level in something to Mm -hmm. just have value as a person. In my life, in my family, the man who was my father just didn't care about me at all. I was an annoyance to him that he tolerated. Um, uh, uh, And then also a scapegoat that he relentlessly bullied. I was just a thing to my mom. I was just a way for her to get uh, attention and to feel popular and to like run a fan club. Like it was, those things made me feel like I wasn't enough. Like I had to be doing all this acting stuff because I was responsible for my mom's feelings. And maybe if I did enough of this to keep mom happy, somehow that was going to make dad happy. And dad was going to finally care about me. Um, and obviously those things never happened and those things were never going to happen because those things were never about me. Those things were about them. This is a thing that we really work on and and a thing that I remind survivors and that I remind people who are just going through trauma recovery, all of these things that hurt us, they were never about us. They were always about the people who hurt us. And I want everyone to know this. And I want you to know this. You are enough. You were always enough. You have always been enough and you always will be enough. And if someone cannot see that, that's not on you, man. That's on them. 
That is their failing and their problem. They have so much pain in their lives and so much fear and anxiety in their lives that they can't get past their own thing to see you and see you as enough. And that is not your fault. You are absolutely enough. That's awesome. Marking it as today was the day that Will Wheaton made me cry. <laughs> totally worth it. So Will, you are a storyteller at heart and we all love a good story. But one of the stories that we rarely get to hear are some of those funny behind the scene moments. Mm -hmm. What was a funny behind the scene moment that you really enjoyed and just had a blast with? In uh, the third or fourth season of Next Generation, we were on the bridge, all of us, the entire cast was on the bridge. The Enterprise is just getting wrecked by uh, by the bad guys. And I don't remember specifically what it was. It, it may have been the Borg. It, the timing is right for it to have been the Borg. The director of that episode um, was incredibly excited that we were going to do the, the most aggressive, uh, kind of like violent hit the Enterprise D had ever experienced. Put a pin in that. We had a scale, a one to 10 scale on the set. And whenever the hit, the, 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 sh the ship was hit by something, um, the, the, we would all know what number we were doing. And then the camera crew would shake the camera accordingly between one and 10, and then we would move around. And there's little things, right? Like anything up to about a four absolutely doesn't knock you off your feet, but anything up between like a four and an eight or a four and like a, I guess like a seven could like knock you over at your bridge uh, uh, station. Anything over a seven absolutely knocks you off your feet everywhere, knocks you into the wall and things like that. A 10 probably destroys the Enterprise. So this hit is going to be like a nine and it's a big deal. And they keep talking about what a big deal it is. So um, we, we're, we're, going through, uh, we're going through the scene and the way I remember it, Patrick is up behind, I'm at my bridge station with Brent next to me and Patrick's up behind me and he is over near the turbo lift that is that would be back over my left shoulder and uh the ship gets hit like crazy right and he like hits the wall and the director's like i uh and the director like cuts and he wants him to do it more and he wants him to do it more and he wants him to do it after like the third time of the director being like do it more patrick we get to that bit in the scene cameras are rolling we get to that moment in the scene patrick <laughs> comically throws himself against the wall, then bounces off the wall and hits the horseshoe and then stumbles down the ramp, um, rolling along the wall, then hits like Brent's back and bounces off of Brent and then staggers across the bridge and then crashes so hard into the wall right next to where the dedication plaque of the Enterprise is. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and he hits the wall so hard that the set fell down. <laughs> like that little piece of the set fell out. Now those were designed to be taken out so they could put the cameras in there if they needed to, right? So this thing falls out. And the entire mood on the set goes from hilarity to uh, uh, like dead silent panic. Like, oh my God, we are, this is like, 
somebody's in trouble, but it can't be Patrick because he's Captain Picard. So he's not going to be the one who gets in trouble, but somebody's <laughs> going to get in trouble. And like now it's going to take time to put the set back together. I felt that the, the mood switch from uncontrollable laughter to the most insane tension. So like on that scale, we went from like a three of laughter to like a nine and a half of tension. So I'm like, uh, I look down at my, my console and I say, Captain, Hull breach on deck one. And the whole crew <laughs> explodes. Um, and, uh, and it diffused all of the tension. And, uh, and it kind of brought, kind of brought everything right back, um, right back to where, uh, right back to where, to where we all wanted to be at the beginning of the scene. That's awesome. Love it. That's a great story. I have to say that my brain kind of did the wait he just said Patrick so calmly like it's normal to you I know I know it's super weird I had a similar moment a couple of days ago a person uh we were sharing pet pictures online and a person sent me a picture of this uh this animal um that uh that that uh lives in a tree in their backyard um and uh not not exactly a pet just an animal that lives there his name's Mr. Fuzzy Pants and Mr. Fuzzy Pants is a koala and uh, I love koala. When I went to Australia, I went to a koala sanctuary specifically to be close to them. We have them at the Los Angeles Zoo. I go to the zoo specifically to see them. They are a special thing that I make an effort and pay money to experience. And this person was like, oh, it's Mr. Fuzzy Pants. Yeah, sometimes he poops up there. It's like a whole thing. And, and I was just like, yeah, of course. Like you can just be like, yeah, you know, whatever. It's super normal to you. Um, it is jarring to me when people insist on calling Patrick Sir Patrick. That is weird to me. Um, but I absolutely get it. And when we're in public, and when we're in public and I'm like hosting him, I use the honorific, of course. Are you kidding me? My friend is a freaking knight of the British Empire? Yeah, I'm going to call him right? Sir Patrick Stewart. Of course I'm going to do that. Um, That's awesome. But 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 I choose, you know. <laughs> I choose. I, I just I love things. those those little culture shock moments, though, because honestly, if somebody sent me a picture of Mr. Fuzzy Pants, I'd be like, but, really? Like I, yeah. I had the same reaction that you would have with the yeah. I love koala. Yeah, like, he's so get, he's just like up in the she's and I feel like it was a woman who sent this. Um, uh, anyway, this the person who sent it was like, yeah, he's just up there, you know, he snores at night and he makes these really cute grunting noises in the afternoon, and he just kind of like you know he cruises around from tree to tree, and like everybody in the area just kind of knows him. That's amazing. And they said it with the same way. I'm like, oh yeah, there's ducks that live in my neighbor's yard. Right. And, uh, and, and I'm like, oh, the ducks are here. Okay ducks are normal that's awesome right and, and they're just like oh yeah koala whatever see and that's like the the town that i grew up in actually has a facebook page for the town turkey incredible there, there is a turkey that is just wandering around town well that's it's great. since become discovered that it's an entire flock of turkeys it's not but the same turkey it's not the same turkey so now there's for a long time it was believed that this was one turkey yeah so now i have this story in my head of like the group of turkeys that get together and the turkeys are like this aggression will not stand i am so tired of them breeding us to where we can't even stand up so that they can eat us for their genocide celebration in in november <laughs> let's i have an idea tom 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 come here i have an idea 
for all times. Yes. Awesome. And it was working. It was really working. What? <laughs> and like, oh, I love they, it. they've had issues with the turkeys chasing the Schwann's trucks and getting, oh, like, attacking garbage men. And are turkeys aggressive? They are. I didn't know that. Are they aggressive? I mean, like, wild turkeys? Wild turkeys are aggressive. They're not. I'd say they're milder than geese. Okay. I mean, I think everyone's same... milder than geese. Well, yeah, they don't have they don't have Canadian geese geese aggression, but you know they've got right. Yeah. Canada geese oh. are vicious. Whenever That's somebody's it. like, I just think geese are so cute. I just know, oh, you've never been in the same place as a goose. No, no. <laughs> no. you've never been bit by a goose. You've never been chased. Yeah. <laughs> Evil things. So like, well, I love animals so much, but if a goose comes after me, I am kicking the crap out of that goose. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, it is like, and that at that point, it's like it's me or the goose. Well, that's fight or flight. I mean, you know. Yeah, for sure. And don't think for a second that that goose is not a hundred percent going to murder you. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. The college campus that I went that's to, from Canada, they had geese because we had a pond at the college, and they attacked one of my professors while she was riding her bike. Like the goose landed on her face and is like flapping its wings, attacking her while she's trying to ride her bike. She ran into a car. And it's awful because like seeing a person get attacked by a goose is hilarious. It looks so funny and it's not. (laughs) There's a lot of distance between this is fun and I'm being attacked by a goose. (laughs) We had a, we had a goose growing up and it hated my brothers. Yeah. It hated my brothers, but it loved me. And so my brothers would go out. My brothers would go outside in the middle of summer in their snowsuits and just to protect them from the goose. And so <laughs> the goose is just chasing them around. And... Goose had questionable taste. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, well, we've all had a lot of fun preparing for this interview this week because there's so much that you have done, whether it's been in voice acting or book narration. Like I found out you played Perceptor in, in one of the Transformers things, and that was really cool to me because we got to that talk was. to Paul Eiding as well, you know, who also was in the original series and the 86 movie was Perceptor. And, and yeah. so I was like, oh, man, that's cool. It's a nice little tie in. And and I'm a huge fan of your book narration uh, because I started with Ready Player One because I'm an Ernest Klein fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but but yeah, so I told you all that so I could tell you this. I've been watching a lot of your your episodes of Tabletop uh, and, you know, you know, watching you on uh, there was an episode you did with the Guild and, you know, mm-hmm. some other Tabletop stuff. And, and so I'm playing my very first Tabletop game. Uh, in just a couple couple days here, okay. I've never played D and D my entire life. I've never played any role playing games or anything like that. We're gonna play a Star Wars game to break me in on on these because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. That's where my camp is at, yeah. and uh, but I'm still very nervous and about this because uh, I feel a little bit out of my depth here. Right, I've never really done this before. So I actually bought him a set of dice and had them mailed to his she house. Did so yes, I have I, physical I, dice. I have Amazing. my own dice. So uh, for this, and her husband helped me set up my character so I would, wouldn't feel completely alone going into this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what advice do you have for an RPG rookie such as myself going into this? What should I, what should I be looking for? You can try absolutely anything within the boundaries of your character and your game master will just tell you if you can do it or not. Like you're working with other people to tell a story. You're using your imagination to pretend. So what's it like if I'm in Star Wars? I would tell you just from a practical metagaming standpoint, stormtroopers in the Star Wars RPG are 
massively more dangerous than they are in the actual Star Trek, uh, Star Wars universe. In the Star Wars universe, stormtroopers can't hit a wall with their fist when they're two feet away. Um, in the Star Wars role-playing game, they're real dangerous and like two stormtroopers can wipe your party if you're not careful. So just be aware of that. Um, but honestly, the whole point of role-playing for me has always been about finding that thing that inspires my imagination that's just fun. Like when I play D&D, it's my way of being in the Lord of the Rings. When I played uh, a sci-fi RPG, it was my way of being in whatever sci-fi world that was set in, whether it was derived from the Star Wars universe where the force is kind of like magic, or if it was derived from like the Star Trek universe where it's more about science. Um, uh, there's a great line in Rocky Horror Picture Show, don't dream it, be it. Whatever you can dream in a role-playing game, you can be that at the table. And your uh, your game master or dungeon master will just help support whatever you want to do. Don't be afraid to take chances um, and uh, and just commit to telling the story. You can't really lose at an RPG. I mean, your character could get killed, I guess, which is a bummer. And you'll get emotionally invested in your character if you're lucky and you will take care to protect them. Um, but the whole point of role-playing games, um, the way I play them, some people play them really more like a tactical miniatures game with a little bit of storytelling kind of kind of dusted on top of it, um, which is super fine. It's not my way. Um, when I'm doing it, I just want to tell a story. I want to examine things in my imagination and, and have, uh, have fun uh, finding out what happens next. Um, so I would just commit to that and don't ever think it. And when you yeah. roll poorly, something I know a little bit about, um, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is very much an opportunity to, to, deter, to, to like come up with a story about why that happened. When I played on Critical Role, uh, my character was just statistically improbably incompetent. Someone did a plot of where you would anticipate roles to land and where mine did. And it was just, if I had been wagering on something and actually placing my bets where my roles landed, the odds that I would have won based on making those roles are astronomical. So they, they showed all of that and I was like, why? Why is this guy so, he was hung over. He was massively <laughs> hung over. Oh, he's I'm like, so using, I'm so using like, that. He's like a sci-fi, I mean, he's, he's like a fantasy dwarf, you know? He's all about the ale. He's all about like, just like leaning up against his ax and just diving into a literal barrel of ale and drinking it until he can't feel feelings anymore. Of course, he was super hung over. That's why he was so bad at everything, except kicking in a door. Nice. Oh, wait, yeah. which actually he didn't do. He kicked the door and rolled a critical failure on the door. He rolled a critical success trying to um, interrogate a guy that absolutely didn't need to be interrogated. I was just like, <laughs> I that moment. he rolled a critical success on interrogating a guy and it was like useless. There was no point. Like there was just, it wasn't going to do anything. It was not going to help us at all. But you bet that Torbeer was like, tell me everything. Do That's you, fantastic. I do yeah, remember my... watching that moment and being like, this character makes no sense and I love him. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my character actually is going to be a uh, uh, wall clone trooper. Cool. Who is now a farmer and I named him after the weird science character of Farmer Ted. Amazing. So, so yeah, that's what I'm going with. 
So. Yeah, that's great. So he's got a reason that he that he that he left. He's got a reason that he chose being a farmer. Um, he's got a reason that he chose where he is. Those are all inspirations you can use to build his story, um, and, and and define what he does. There's a thing he cares about that is really worth defending, um, and there's a thing that he really wants. And those are the three pieces uh, that you can put together to motivate him to fall back. Awesome, on. awesome. Thank you. So there were a couple of videos I found. Um, both of them are actually from 2013 about you talking about why it's awesome to be a nerd. Yeah. Um, one was in response to a nine-year-old girl talking about being bullied. And the other one was a recorded message to a fan's newborn daughter. Yeah. And people loved the raw emotional authenticity in those videos. So did I. I have a three and a half year old little girl who is already showing that she is going to be just as nerdy as her parents. Amazing. Like, I have recently taught her to hold her hand out in front of an automatic door to use the force to open them. Always which a great idea. Makes never people not, laugh. Never not satisfying. <laughs> it's it's great. Yeah. But how can I help her foster her love for things that are nerdy while preparing her for the sometimes harsh reality of being a nerd? As I have, as I said in both of those videos, and and as I actually write in, still just a geek. Being a nerd is not about what you love. It's about the way you love a thing. I am part of a large group of people that are in the public eye that uh, have lived our entire lives in kind of like nerd media and nerd culture. And we have been working diligently for decades to open the gates and welcome everyone into our world. Uh, for a real long time, we were very gatekeepy. We were toxically male, um, and uh, and and that was just kind of it. Just kind of reflected what was going on in society in the seventies and eighties. And and I think we who found some comfort and safety and fellowship in the nerd community um, wanted very much to break that insular nature and. Uh, tear down artificial barriers that have been erected between people who identify as jocks and people who identify as nerds. Like you're just enthusiastic for different things. There's being physically tuned to succeed at something is super cool. That's hard to do. Being intellectually tuned to tell a story or build a character or understand the strategy inherent in a complex tabletop game like Star Wars Rebellion, that's also really cool. There is no reason that one needs to be better than the other. And the thing that, 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 that I have worked to do by example um, and that I just repeat over and over and over again is it doesn't matter what you love, as long as it doesn't hurt another person, as long as your love of a thing is not predicated on another person not liking a thing, there's no reason that you can't love it enthusiastically and, 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 and love it all together. This is the way that I now approach bullies. It is taking, I turned 50 in July and it took me well, almost all 50 of my years to figure this out. And I'm saying it a lot right now because I, it works for me and I suspect it will work for other people. When someone comes up to you to give you a hard time about a thing that you, that you love, we'll just say it's a nerdy thing, right? Some playground bully is going to come up to your daughter and give her a hard time because um, she is uh, reading a book that nerds read. I don't know what it is. Let's say like, I'm just going to decide that your daughter's seven and she's got the like 
fifth edition starter book because whatever that's her deal right. she's like yeah i'm gonna do this okay cool and someone's like nah nerd right their whole the whole reason that that person's doing that is because of something they feel they mm-hmm. feel sad they feel insecure they feel inadequate they, they, they they're hurting in one way or another and rather than addressing it they are trying to inflict their pain on another person to take it off of them okay I recognize that. And I actually have compassion for people who are expressing that because that is another person who is hurting. What they're doing isn't okay, but they're definitely hurting. So this is what I have begun saying to people when they come at me about just about anything where what they kind of really want to do is just have a fight. What they want to do is just be aggressive and be belligerent. This is what I, this is what I say, some version of. I see what you're trying to do. I am aware of what is very important to you right now. I get it, okay? That is going to take at least two people. You're one of those people. I am not going to be one of those people. So do your thing, but I'm not gonna be part of it. Uh, And I'm leaving. And I walk away. That is incredibly easy for me to do as a 50 year old man. Mm-hmm. That is extraordinarily difficult to do when you are a child on a playground. Yeah. The way that we can get our kids to there, I think, is by teaching our kids to have boundaries that are entirely up to them, that they expect to be respected. And when a person does not respect their boundaries, we teach our kids from a very, just like, in, I, I think it needs it, it, it's really useful if it's as ingrained as breathing. You're not respecting my boundaries and I'm not going to remain engaged with you. When you just walk away from a bully, they literally don't know what to do. They've gotten all wound up to have this big fight and to feel really important. And when you just go, mm, no, I'm just not gonna be part of this. They, they built up all of this potential energy and they just don't know what to do with it. And hopefully that gives that bully an opportunity to go, what am I doing? And change and change their behavior. I think it's really important that we find compassion and empathy for people who are hurting. But I also think if somebody punches you in the nose, it's super appropriate to punch them right back. And go. so you don't get to do that to me anymore. Yeah. Um, there is no super easy, right? Like, if, right. if there was a super easy answer, you wouldn't need to ask the question. We would all know the answer is. But that right. is what—that is really what works for me, and it's what I wish I had known when I was younger. I wish I had known that I could say to a person, "I don't like the way you are treating me, and I'm not going to sit here and be part of it." And I think too, sure. because it's still, it's still hard to be a girl in the nerd world, that oh there is that extra part of me that's like, mm, no, protect her, save her, yeah. but also then show her Marisha Ray and Laura Bailey and Felicia Day with the, no, you can be a nerd. It's okay. Look yeah. at these examples of strong women who are still nerds, but also then own companies and run companies and are out there fulfilling their dreams while still playing role-playing games yeah i mean being a nerd just means that you're enthusiastic that's all yeah there's someone who loves golf the way i love dungeons and dragons there are you know fantasy Mm -hmm. football is dnd for jocks um like i've done that true i've done that i mean there's there's no there's there's just no meaningful difference 
The meaningful difference is not in the activity. The meaningful difference is in the societal toxic masculinity that has infected and corrupted these communities forever and ever and ever. And mm -hmm. you're talking about your daughter who's three, like she's only three. We have time. We can help, right? We can help continue to build that world for her where she never has to say like, okay, you think it's not cool that I'm doing a nerd thing. I love it. I don't care what you think. I, I like, like maybe that's part of it. Like you don't need another person to validate that you <laughs> like a thing. Right. You yeah. just don't. This is this thing that like Felicia and I figured this out when we started doing um, uh, tabletop and when we were building out Geek and Sundry, we didn't need to try to go make everybody happy. We didn't need to try to like give people a thing we thought people wanted. We made the thing that we loved and knew that there were other people who wanted to share it with us. And it's going to be exactly the same way. The more women are just sort of like out and proud and loud about being nerds, the more awkward and weird it's going to be for crappy, toxic men to like get into the middle of all of that and, mm -hmm. and try to create those problems. We Amen. create that change by being that change. And that is like, like fellow white guys, that's really on us. We got to call each other out because I tell you who's causing the problems in all of our communities. It's us. It's, it's nobody else. It's nobody <laughs> else. It's always, it is always, always, always white guys. Not all white guys, but when there's a person causing a problem, it's a white guy. It's just the way it goes. And, uh, and we just have to stand up and call each other out. So it's not. So we have a Facebook group about 203,000 plus and that's it's a Facebook group yeah it's, and it's just that's, that's it's a just filled with that's a small town <laughs> it's just filled with memes <laughs> awesome I love that just memes of different ecoverses yeah so you've been in roles where you are the nemesis of various evil will <laughs> love that guy what is a geekiverse that you would like to be a part of and who would you like to be your nemesis? That is such a good question. And the I have like massive optional paralysis right now. <laughs> <laughs> we need like throwing open the entire world of like every nerdy thing that we love. Like I am such a huge fan of Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica. An opportunity to be one of those sleeper Cylons. That would be so cool. I talked to Aaron Douglas about that for the longest time when he found out, you know, none of them knew. Uh, it was all kind of like dumped on all of them suddenly. Um, and Aaron would never tell me who, but at least one Cylon was real upset that they were not human, that they had been a Cylon the entire time. I don't know who it was. Um, but he, he said he started making these choices as an actor where he would be doing a thing and then as an actor as the character he would have a memory that was tied to him being a Cylon and he was playing it like oh these things are starting to make sense now these things are starting to come together I understand all of it I get it and um, I always thought that was so incredibly interesting and it would create such a such a fun character to explore um, but now that I've said all of that out loud, um, I'm going to completely change my answer. <laughs> and because I can do absolutely anything and I have all the power in the universe to make this happen, I bring back Eureka mm. and I return to Eureka as Dr. Parrish and continue 
having Fargo as as Dr. Parrish's nemesis. Poor, mm. poor sweet Fargo. Nice. <laughs> I need to rewatch awesome. that show. I love that show. Great answer. All right. Well, we're at a part where we like to take our guests through a very small quiz. Okay. And this is the meet the Will Wheaton on the bang. So evil will Wheaton. Evil Will Wheaton. So okay. it's a four question quiz. All okay. questions are multiple choice. Okay. All right. Now, if you get three of the four questions correct, yeah. you win something. We're gonna oh, send well, you win. we're gonna send you this book if I can get okay. this, the 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 glare off it. It's called okay. Custodians of the Cosmos. It's written yep. by Drayton Allen. Yep. Nick's dad. And uh <laughs> It's a, it's a book about a young man who joined something quite like Starfleet, but not like Starfleet for litigious reasons. Anyway, sort of similar yet legally distinctly different from Starfleet. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of these organizations. Uh, yes. I have written about a number of them. Yes. Uh, and so, but he didn't quite make it in. So he washed out and he rejoins as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who boldly just went. That's so really, that's. <laughs> I hate how much I love that. <laughs> you will absolutely love this book. All right. So we'd like to send you that book. So um, after, All right. I'm going to try even harder. There you go. So after we're done here, stick around and we'll get your, your shipping information and we'll make sure that we get that for you. Okay. okay. Uh, so four questions. Uh, all multiple choice. If, however, you get less than three questions correct, we take your picture, we make a meme out of you, and we put you in our Facebook group. We oh call it the fun sequence. The stakes are so unbelievably high right now. <laughs> so, all right, okay. Nick, take us all out. Right. Will's house number or street address is what in the Big Bang? Is it 1701? Yes. <laughs> am I supposed to ring in? Is it like Jeopardy? Do I ring in before or am I supposed to let you say all of them? You can, no. if Jeopardy. you know the answer, as please feel you free to jump answer. in. Okay, that's yeah. one. All right. All right. In his Fun with Flags guest spot, Will Wheaton is wearing what show's t shirt? I can give you the answer, the options if you Yeah, ready. give me the options. And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, oh. The Critical Role, Tabletop, or The Guild? I think it's the guild. It is the guild. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I have a little bit of breathing room. I can get one wrong. Okay, cool. All right. Excellent. Sheldon, yeah. All right. Sheldon Cooper calls his grandmother Meemaw, and she calls him something that Will mocks him with when beating him with it in a card game. What was it? Moon pie, moonbeam, or moonstar? Game over, moon pie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my day is done. I was hoping you'd say it just like that. I can go home now. <laughs> you, you have made Tim's day. No, le legitimately, you just did that. I was hoping oh, yeah. you would say that. Sure. That's fantastic. Um, I will just tell you, when I read that in the script, <laughs> I laughed so hard and tried to get them to let me call that back every subsequent episode when I was still evil Will Wheaton before uh, Will Wheaton became their friend. Mm -hmm. Every time I wanted to call Sheldon Moon Pie, I just thought he just calls Sheldon Moon Pie because he knows it drives Sheldon crazy. Glory says, Chuck Glory says, that is so funny, but it, re it kind of demands that everybody in the audience have seen every episode to know why he does that. And I don't want to 
confuse the audience. One of the rules of comedy, you can, you can trick them, you can misdirect them, but you can't confuse them. So that's why Will Wheaton never calls Sheldon Moon Pie anymore. And if anyone's ever, if anyone is, if, if you have, I'm going to answer the follow-up I've decided you're going to ask. Hey, Will, what's your favorite line you've ever said on The Big Bang Theory? Is it actually also your favorite line you've ever said in your entire acting career? Well, as a matter of fact, it would be, of course, live long and suck it. <laughs> that is the best one. <laughs> that is not question number four, surprisingly, though. <laughs> All right. Excellent. All right. Question number four. But you've got a book. I've got a book. However, question number four. In 2022, you, Will Wheaton, confirmed that you were still just a what? Geek! Yes. That is correct. Four for four, my good man. Jolly good show. So yeah, we will send you this book. Woo! Boy, I got to tell you, the level of relief I feel right now. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you had made it into the meme verse, you would have been in good company with Dan Pavenmeyer right. and oh, Robin Curtis. <laughs> Dan went to Casa Bonita, the real Casa Bonita in Colorado. And we, he and I had been talking about it at a friend's house like a month before. And one night I just start getting all these text messages from Dan. And it's all these pictures because he's inside the real Casa Bonita. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he was like, it's like a fever dream. I cannot believe this place is real. And he awesome. just, and, I, and every time I thought, well, it's not going to get better than this. 10 minutes go by. Here comes another picture from Dan. And I was like, <laughs> I cannot even believe he watched them cliff diving and just, he was like, this is like, you have to come here. So Casa Bonita is on my bucket list for sure. That's oh, awesome. That is amazing. Well, well, thanks for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you? Um, rather than give you a huge list of URLs that everyone will forget, I'm going to give you one that I hope you will remember. It is willwheaton.net. Uh, will with one L. Um, there, that's where my blog is. That is where the links to my little limited social media um, uh, engagement are. Um, and uh, that is my home online at willwheaton.net. Awesome. Well, we are definitely going to link that so that our viewers and listeners can find you. Thank you. And then we also, Each guys, way possible. yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like the amazing Will Wheaton here today and funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps more than you're ever going to know. And please go to willwheaton.net. Check out what Will has going on over there. You will not be disappointed. It's an amazing website. And if for whatever reason you are unhappy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, Wesley Crusher. That's right. Wesley, son of Beverly, is in charge of our complaint department, having proving himself as an intelligent and talented cadet in Starfleet and working aboard the Enterprise for some time. Wesley is uniquely positioned to hold this job. So bring your two copies of the complaint, but be polite because if you're not, you have to remember he's friends with Worf, a Klingon. And Klingons can be nasty folk when their honor has been shamed, even if they do work in Starfleet. Wesley would love to hear your complaint right now, but he's got to go talk to his manager. Who's That's Worf. right. Well, thanks again, Will. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's going to conclude us for Funny Science Fiction. Goodbye. Bye. Yeah. And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers.
information about Level Up lightsabers, and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. 